Thank you, Jesus. All right, quickly, let's get into the Word. Hold your Bible, your cell phone, uh, whatever you're reading from. This is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's Word. And my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. We're still talking about mind renewal. Amen. And I'm praying that I'll be able to teach it like I taught it in the 8.30 service. I mean, it was just fire. (laughs) You know, it was awesome. We enjoyed it. Wasn't Pastor Dave Basson awesome last week? Man, he just came and preached up a storm. I was like, man, I, I could get used to this. Just sitting down and listening to him preach every Sunday. Amen. It was just awesome to take a break. And my wife brought a word, man, on trusting God. That shifted my mindset altogether. Let's go to Romans chapter number 12, verse 2. This is our foundational scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You should know it by heart by now, I'm sure, most of you. Or at least it's marked in your Bible. If it's not, please make sure you mark it. It's one of the most important scriptures for any New Testament believer. Amen. And it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And we say that word conform means to be poured into a mold. And we say the word world means a system. So he's saying don't be poured into a mold where you think the way the world thinks. Amen. And he says, but be ye what? Transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. And that word prove simply means to manifest. How many of you would like to manifest the will of God? How many of you would like to actually taste and see that the Lord is good? Amen? And that's where God wants us to be. To a place where we can prove for ourselves the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And this is the scripture that we started. And we say this transformation, uh, you know, can be uh, illustrated by a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. If you are not here two weeks ago, please make sure you go to the website and get that teaching so that you can keep up. Amen? Today we're moving from that and we're going to look at something else. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse 23. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have the board. First Thessalonians 5, 23. Watch what it says. It says, and... The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Give it to me in the New King James Bible. In the English version. Amen. (laughs) He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you how? Completely. May your whole spirit. Someone say spirit. Soul. Someone say soul. Body. Someone say body. He says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, this is the order of things. It's always spirit, soul, and body. Because you live from the inside out. If you go to the world, in fact, I was in the U.S. and I saw a shop that sells, you know, pampering products for uh, women. And it says, body, soul, spirit. Because they were, uh, uh, they just took the thing and uh, switched it around so that you can prioritize and worship. In fact, their anthem was, worship your body. 
So a lot of people start from body and they go to soul and spirit is last. But the foundation here, the order of things is spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Amen. And this is where I want to teach from today. You are a tripartite being. In other words, you have three parts to being who you are. You are a spirit, that's really who you are. You are not your body, and you are not your soul. You are a spirit. Even in the world, people understand this. That's why when someone dies, they say he's gone. And yet they still have the body. Because they know the real you is spirit. In fact, when God was creating man in Genesis 1.26, He says, let, let us make them in our own image. And image speaks of the nature of God. And John 4.24 says, God is a spirit. So the real you is spirit. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no Gentile, no uh, 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 Jew. There is therefore now no male and no female and no uh, 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 race, no black, no white. You know why? Because you are a spirit. And in your spirit, there is no racial discrimination. Because we all look the same. In your spirit, there is no gender inequality. You know why? Because there are no male and female spirits. We are all spirits. Yep. Hallelujah. <laughs> I always say this, man. Manhood and womanhood is the same as long as you're in the hood. <laughs> in other words, spirit-wise, we are all the same. And that's how, that's who you really, 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 really are at the core of your being. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man, women included... If any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. All things have passed away and behold, everything has become brand new. Everything became brand new. So here's what happened. I received Christ and I expected everything to become brand new. And I went and I looked myself in the mirror and nothing had changed. I searched in my soulish realm and nothing had changed. You know why? Because what became brand new was my spirit. Not my soul and not my body. And here is your soul. Let's just put it out here. Your soul is where your mind, your will, and your emotions come from. Amen? And this is your body. Man, if you can catch this, you will live a life of victory. Amen. The real you is spirit. That's the real you. And when you became a brand new, the Bible says you became a new creature, it was your spirit that became brand new. And the Bible says it like this in First John 4, 17. It says, as Jesus Christ is, so are we in this world. And he's talking about your spirit being. The spirit that you have now as a born again child of God is exactly the same spirit that Jesus has in heavenly places. Just like him. One third of you is wall to wall deity. It's wall to wall Holy Ghost. It's wall to wall just like Jesus. Molecule for molecule. This is why you are a powerful being. Your spirit is brand new. No traces of the past. See, this is why there are no generational case, uh, curses. Amen. You know why? Because your spirit comes after the spirit of Christ. 
not the spirit of Tateguru. Comes after the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. I said, amen. amen. And in your spirit, God deposited all. Someone say all. all. Some of you don't believe me. Go to Philemon chapter number one, verse six. Your spirit has everything that you will need for this life. When Jesus said, you know, you can forgive 70 times 7 a day for one sin, some of you think, I can't. You can. Your spirit has power to do that. Hallelujah. Please give it to me in the King James Bible. God's version. Watch what it says. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by acknowledging. We learned last week that acknowledging comes from two English words. Accept this knowledge. Amen. And he says, how does your faith become effectual? By accepting a certain knowledge. And what's that knowledge? By acknowledging of every, how many is left outside of every? I did not hear that. See, the Bible speaks in absolutes. And I know some of you in your mind, you are fighting it. You are resisting it. You know why? Because your mind can't contain it. But that's who you really are in your spirit. He says, by acknowledging of every good thing. Oh man, this is good stuff. Is a good marriage a good thing? Is a good car a good thing? Is a good house a good thing? Is a good wife a good thing? Is a good husband a good thing? Is a good business a good thing? He says, every good thing. I have a question. Where is this good thing? Which is in you. It is already in your spirit. A hundred percent. Every good thing is already in your spirit. Watch what it says. Acknowledging of every good thing. Which is in you. In Christ Jesus. So when you got born again. God loaded your spirit with everything that you need. That pertains to life and godliness. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 3. 2 Peter chapter number 1 verse 3. Someone shout, I am, big. I am big. On the inside. Someone shout, I possess all, I possess all. Good, things. good things. Watch what it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. It says, according as his divine power has given unto us how many? Come on, preach with me. How many? Do you see what it says? It says, according as his divine power has given us. He didn't say he's trying to give us. He didn't say he's working on it. He didn't say God is getting ready to do something. You know, I always have a problem with preachers. God is getting ready to do something. And next Sunday, God is getting ready to do something. Next Sunday, God is getting... How come he never gets to do it? The Bible says, He has already given it by grace. Amen? Has given, past tense, has given unto us how many things? All things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. So both Philemon 1 verse 8 and uh, verse 6 and Second Peter chapter number 1 verse 3 Attest to the fact that your spirit has already got everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. So if my spirit has all these great things, Tafara, what's the problem? 
I'm about to show you what the problem is. Go to Galatians chapter number 5 verse 17. Thank you, Jesus. This is good stuff. If you master this, your life will change. This is what I like to call functional truth. Functional, practical truth. I was preaching the same message in Cape Town, and uh, the pastor's wife came to me after the service, and she said, this message is so spiritual, yet it's so practical. And I said, everything that's really, really, really spiritual must also be practical. Because if it's not practical, I don't want it. If I can't take it and apply it in my life, what, what good is it? It must also be practical. I should be able to practically apply it. Hallelujah. Watch what it says. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. What he's simply saying is that what your body thinks and what the spirit thinks are always at odds against each other. Because your body is saying, hey, I have pain. Your spirit is saying, by his stripes we were healed. Your body is saying, I can't do this. Your spirit is saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So they're always at odds. They're always fighting against each other. The Bible uses the word contrary. While your body is saying we're not going to make it, your spirit is saying, man, we make it all the time. Your spirit is saying, hey, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ. So who wins? That's the question. Who wins? If your spirit is saying one thing and your body is saying the other, who wins? Good question. Romans 8 verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. If your mind chooses to go with the body, with the five senses, you will produce death. Or you will lose. And it also says, To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So whoever the mind votes for wins. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If your mind thinks you are a winner, it's right. If your mind thinks you are a loser, it's right. Whatever the mind thinks, wins. This is why you need to get your mind to be aligned or to be in line with God's word. That's what to be spiritually minded means. It means to be word of God minded. It means when God says it, you think that way. You fix your thoughts to start thinking that way. In fact, the Bible says of Abraham, he was fully convinced. He was fully persuaded. Where does the persuasion and the convincing happen? In your mind. You know why? Because there's a battle going on in your mind. That says, oh, this thing might not be real. Oh, this thing is false. And the Bible says it, it produces something called double-mindedness. Is this making sense? Yes. Give me James chapter number 1 verse 21. So for many, many years, the church has gathered around, you know, emotionalism. Where we just come to church, sing songs, cry, without letting the word of God shape the way we think. But at some point, you're going to have to let the word of God shape your thought life. And shape the way you think. Amen? I was saying in the 830 service, if you can fix your mind... You can fix your life. But if you leave your mind to someone else to fix it, you will have problems. Because the devil will come and plant weeds. Hallelujah. 
Man, this is good stuff. I'm enjoying this. I mean, you, you guys should be saying louder amens because you slept longer, right? <laughs> James chapter number 1, verse 21. Did I tell you to go there? We're going to read from 21 to 22. Watch what it says. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness and receive. Someone say receive. receive. This is the starting point of you changing your life. You have to receive. Not reject. A lot of people sit in church, you know, the word of God is taught and they just reject it. They let their mind just counter every God concept there is out there. Oh, it doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. How can you lay hands on the sick and they recover? That doesn't make, even make sense. You know, physics can't prove that and so on and so on and so on and so on. And they stop themselves from receiving it. He says receive with meekness. That word meekness simply means with a teachable spirit. When you come to God, when you get into God's word, be determined to go in there with an attitude that says, I don't know much. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. How many of you know that God knows more than you and me? Yeah. See, a lot of people will be like, ah, let me think about it. No, God knows more than you and me. Yeah. And when we submit ourselves to his knowledge, we begin to win. Watch what he says. And receive with meekness, with the teachable spirit, the engrafted word which is able to save your what? I did not hear that. Which means your soul wasn't saved. Because he's talking to church folk. He's saying, church folk, if you want your souls to be saved, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Because it has the ability, it has the potential to save your soul. You know why? Because your soul is not saved. What is saved is your spirit. Every week when you come in here, what we are doing is saving your soul. It's called mind renewal. Soul salvation. So when people go out into the streets, you know, talking about we are winning souls. No, they're not winning souls. They're winning spirits. The soul has to go through the process of mind renewal so that you can change the way you think. Everywhere in scripture where the Bible talks about soul salvation is talking about mind renewal. And the word of God has the ability. It has the potential to save your soul. To change the way you think. This was Jesus' first message when he walked on the earth. Repent! For the kingdom of God is at hand. That word repent in the Greek metanoia, it simply means change the way you think. And start thinking in line with the kingdom. How does the kingdom think? The kingdom thinks the kingdom way. Hallelujah. I was on TBN just this past Friday. Some of you watched it. And they asked me, you know, what would you tell a young pastor's advice and so on and so forth? What kind of advice would you give someone? And I said, man, the advice I would give you is that success in the kingdom is about the transformed lives of the people of God and not by budgets, not by numbers. In the world, it's a totally different system. They measure success by numbers and by how big your budget is, how big your building is. Man, in the kingdom, it's totally different. And you have to change your mind to the kingdom system if you're going to be a success as a child of God. Hallelujah. So this is what it says. James chapter number 1. He says, man, if you can fix the thought bugs in your mind, you'll begin to win. Go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6, verse 22 to 23, I believe. 
Oh man, this is good stuff. In fact, before we go to Matthew, uh, just go back to James, chapter number 121. I was supposed to read something else there. Verse 22. Verse 22. Watch what it says. Receive with meekness. Watch what it says right after learning. It says, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The way of learning, according to the kingdom, is only confirmed. You only know you have really learned something when you start doing it. Yeah. Not when you can regurgitate it. You know, back in college, we would goof around the whole time. Just messing around back in college. Man, and when it's two weeks before exams, we would go and cram everything that they needed for us to, to, to repeat in that test. And then I would go into the test, and then they would give me that paper. What is soil erosion? Soil erosion is. And then I would repeat it the very same way they wrote it in the textbook and get a distinction. Because they thought learning was just being able to regurgitate it. Not according to the kingdom. Even in the Jewish culture, you only know you have learned something when you start doing it. Yeah. Pastor, I've heard that scripture before. Are you doing it? Because yeah. if you're not yet doing it, you haven't learned it. Yeah. In the Jewish system, man, you, they only say, man, you, you have qualified when you can actually put your life behind a, a concept that you have learned. When you take that uh, 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 formula for, for, for gravity and build an aeroplane around it and actually put people in to fly and float in the air, then they say you've learned it. Because yeah. there's a practical solution behind it. Yeah. But over here in the church, we think you can just regurgitate scripture. Oh, they know too much. No, you know only what you do. Okay, all right. I didn't get an amen for that. <laughs> Matthew 6, verse 22. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And I, I have to say this. Overexposure to the things of God without surrender will destroy you. It will destroy you. Because you become numb and numb to not doing what the Word and what God and the Holy Spirit is instructing you to do. And it will just destroy and uh, mess up your spirit. Amen? Watch what it says. Matthew 6, verse 22. It says, The light of the body is the eye. And that word eye, man, this is awesome. That word eye is two English words, one and voyage. And all he's saying is, if your mind and your spirit are in unison, if the eye, the, the light of the body is the eye, and if therefore the eye be single, so if these two cats are single, they are in unison, your soul and your spirit, then your whole body shall be full of light. This is why you have to fight to get your mind to be in line with God's word. And it's hard. It's not easy. You know why? Because your thoughts want to run around. And go on Facebook and Twitter and let all that stuff in. So that it can produce fear. That's what it wants to do. Your thoughts want to run around and you know, prove these concepts. And just bring fear, 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 fear. But you have to come to a place where you just start thinking and pondering God's word. And esteem God's word. And live by God's word and God's word alone. Hallelujah. He says, so if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. Next verse. This is going to blow your mind. But if your eye be evil, if your soul is evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. You may be a Christian, but if your soulish realm is full of evil stuff, and by evil he's just talking about anything that is contrary to God's word. If you consistently meditate on failure, 
You know, there are people who consistently meditate on failure. This marriage is not going to work. This marriage is not going to work. This ma- They're meditating. That's the I that's evil. And he says your whole life will be filled with darkness, with crazy things. If your eyes feel continuously filled with, I'm not going to make it. I'm a loser. I'm, a, I'm broke. And, and you, you know, you meditate on that stuff all the time. Your whole body will be filled with darkness. So you need to guard your mind, your heart, with all diligence. Because out of it will flow all the issues of life. Amen? I said amen. amen. Watch what it says. If your uh, eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you be darkness. Oh, wait a minute. Did you read that? Did you see what Jesus just said? Man, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is, uh, is amazing, man. He said, but if the light that is in you be darkness, how gross or how great is that darkness? What he's saying is, if what you think is wisdom is dumb and foolishness and the wrong thing, you know, there are people who put their life behind this world system, wisdom. And if you put your, and if what you think is light, is darkness, how gross and how great is your darkness? Man, it's better to be at a place where you say, I don't know. You know me, me, I don't know. <laughs> than to be at a place where you say, me, I know, but you know the wrong thing. Jesus is saying, if you think you know and you know the wrong thing, your darkness is greater. You are at a worse off place. <laughs> Amen? Because it's hard to redeem you. You know why? Because you think you know. And in fact, the Bible says in James chapter number 1, it says that man deceives himself. And that there's no harder place to be in than to be in a place where you're lying to yourself. And you don't know it. And he says, man, if your heart, the knowledge that you have, and, and, oh, man, I have to bring this up. There are people who believe God sometimes put cancers on people to teach them a lesson. People who believe God sometimes kills children to get their attention. And that kind of doctrine is prevalent in the church. Prevalent. I was preaching in the U.S. and this one woman on the goodness of God. I was telling them God is good and is good all the time. And at the end of the session, we had a question and answer session. And this lady lifted up her hand. I said, question. And she said, I, I, I just wanted to know that if you say God is good and he's 100% good, we also know that he's sovereign and that he controls all things. And, and sovereign doesn't even mean God controls all things. Doesn't even mean that. She says, and we also know that he's sovereign and he controls all things. How can he be good 100%? So I said, lady, are you questioning the fact that God is good and is good all the times? And she said, no, no, I'm not really questioning. But a prevalent doctrine at the core of a belief is that God is good, but he has some hints of evil on the inside of him. And there are some people who believe that. Even until this day, there are people who believe God has hints of evil on the inside of him. And guess what? They will even fight for that doctrine. How great is that deception? Someone shout, God is good. good. And that is good all the time. time. Say it again. God is good. good. And He is good good. all all the time. 
Let's put it this way. If God had hints of evil and he smote you with some leprosy, if you go to the doctor, who are you fighting against? You're fighting against what God is trying to achieve on your life, right? In fact, people that believe that, if they ever come to borrow you some money, tell them, ah, you know, I can't interfere with what God is doing on your life. Amen. <laughs> Let it take its full effect. I mean, how can you believe that? Man, he's a good God. You read from Genesis to Revelations, all you see is the goodness of God. And in fact, the Bible says Jesus was the express image of the Father. So if you saw Jesus, you saw God and Jesus. Where do you see in Scripture Jesus smiting someone with leprosy? Even the sinners, you would protect them. Say, you want to stone this woman? Which one of you does not have any sin? Let him cast the first one. He protects sinful people. That's the God that we serve. He's a God of love and he can't help it. In fact, the Bible says God is love. And people still believe, oh, well, you know, sometimes God, God is teaching me this. No, it's not. It's the devil. And sometimes it's your ignorance. Hallelujah. Okay, moving right along. Let me teach you a few things that you need to, to know if you're going to renew your mind. Second Peter chapter number 1, verse 12. In the King James Bible, Second Peter chapter number 1. Verse 12 to 15. Amen. Um, third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. When he says, even as your soul prospers, he's saying to the degree that your soul prospers. So if you want to prosper in health, if you want to prosper in your marriage, begin to prosper in your soul. Begin to get knowledge of prosperity in your soul. You don't stumble into prosperity. You have to train yourself into prosperity. Prosperity is a learning of the goodness of the Lord. Amen? I said amen. Man, I know it's tough, but it's right. Learning is key to victory. Ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. Write that down. Ignorance and victory are impossible roommates. Bible says, my people perish because they lack knowledge. Second Peter chapter number 1 verse 12. Watch what it says. Look up. Let's read together. Please give it to me in the NIV. Watch what it says. So I will always do what? Repetition is the mother of all learning. You know, as a pastor, my motivation is not just to come here and preach a sermon and get you to go home and say, man, pastor is powerful. Oh, pastor. Next week I come with another dimension. You go home, oh, pastor, oh, but you didn't learn anything. That's not my object. I don't get motivated by that. This is why I've adopted this principle from the apostle uh, Peter to remind you. That's why we teach in series, so we can remind you over and over again. And we know if we can remind it to you on a Sunday, on a Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, you will start living it. Because repetition is the mother of all learning. Look what he says. I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. 
I mean, he was teaching people who were firmly established in this truth. But he says, I will still remind you. And myself, I need reminding sometimes that God is the absolute goodness. And, and, and just to know that God is my source. Sometimes I need reminding myself, like my wife preached last week, that I need to put my whole trust in God and not lean on to my own understanding. I need reminding. Even though I'm established in these truths, I need someone to come and lit that fire again. It's a Bible principle. Amen? Watch what it says. I think it is right to do what? Refresh your memory. As long as I live in this tent of this body. Next verse. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Next verse. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to what? Man, if I can teach it to such a place that you get tired of hearing, you are only starting to learn it. If you get to a place where you say, not again, then I know now you're only catching it. Man, these preachers, some of them are my friends, man, they pride themselves in preaching every new revelation every Sunday. And no one is learning anything. Just, I'm bringing this new revelation. If you go to Israel, actually, and look at the actual real shepherds, what they do when they go to a mountain to uh, tend the sheep and so on and so forth, is that they, they just don't go sporadic and haphazard on the mountain. They go line upon line. In fact, if you look from far, you'll see lines on that mountain that just circle it and like rings around it all the way to the top. Because you know what they do? They start at the bottom and go around. And when they come back again, they go a little higher. Same truth, just a little higher. A little higher, not all the way to the top. A little higher, they make another circle. Same truth, when they come the next round, a little higher. Same truth, they stay in one place until the sheep are fed. And that's the principle of teaching in God's word. You have to remind them over and over and over again. Amen? So don't get tired of hearing me preach Romans 12 verse 2. That's my assignment. How many of you get tired of the dentist just dealing with teeth all the time? I mean, this guy just deals with teeth all the time. Why doesn't he fly a plane? Amen? My assignment is to bring this truth to the body. So whatever opportunity I get, man, I'm going to be preaching. If you change the way you think, you can change your life. Because I've learned it. Man, you're looking at a man that grew up in a three-roomed house. Not a three-bedroomed house. Three-roomed house. Used to sleep under the kitchen table. Uh, Parents demonstrated a dysfunctional marriage. There was no hope. And lots of excuses. I could have come out of it, beaten my wife, beaten my children. Where did you learn that from? I grew up in a dysfunctional family. Excuse. Very good excuse. And the counselors would bring me in, let me pour out. Just pour out. (laughs) And not fix anything. But guess what? When I went to God's word, I realized there are no excuses. The truth is, Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart... So is he. So I started thinking good marriage, good children, uh, uh, and an environment that's great to raise kids. And guess what? That's what happened. Man, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. 
This stuff is changing my life while I'm teaching it. Second Timothy chapter number two, verse fourteen. Give it to me in the message Bible. Second Timothy four two, verse fourteen to fifteen in the message Bible. Watch what it says. Just look up. We'll let, let's all read together. Just look up. Second Timothy two fourteen to fifteen. You got it? Message Bible. Second Timothy. Two Timothy. So you gave me first. Second Timothy two fourteen. Chapter two. <coughs> Watch what it says. It says do what? What's the first word? You see it? Now I was preaching in Cape Town and I think I shared this story with you. This woman came to me and she said, you know, Pastor, I don't know what's going on with my life. I'm always in the Word and I read the whole Bible sometimes in, in one week. And I said, that's the problem. I said, that's the problem. The principle is you must get one truth and stay on it until you fully master it. I mean, if finances are your problem, this is what I did when I was struggling with finances. I, I went and I found a teacher. In fact, I went to Andrew Womack's website, downloaded everything that says finance on it. Listened to those sermons until I could preach them myself. Went to all those scriptures until they could come out of me without thinking. And I knew my situation would change. When I was struggling with forgiveness and so on and so forth and being a pastor, because people hurt you when you're a pastor, you know that? People say all kinds of stuff, man. And sometimes you're tempted to just, man, an eye for an eye. Struggling with forgiveness. Now you step me, I step you back. Struggling with that. I went to Andrew Walmart, but downloaded everything. That says forgiveness, dealing with bitterness, being a great leader, pastor, whatever. And mastered it until, you know, I started forgiving people and loving people like I'm supposed to. Just stayed on that truth. I knew it was a problem in my life. I stayed on that one truth. That's all that was playing in my card. Those are the only scriptures I was reading at the time because I had an issue and I needed to deal with it. Laser focus. Amen? Watch what it says. Repeat these basic essentials how many times? Over and over to God's people. Warn them before God against pious and nitpicking which chips away at the faith. It just wears everyone out. Next verse. Concentrate on doing your best. Doing. See that doing again? Doing your best for God. Work. You won't be ashamed of laying out the truth plain and simple. So repetition is the mother of all learning. Amen? And number two, remind, renew your mind to the goodness of God. Romans 2 verse 4 says, says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Amen? Let's go to uh, Psalm 103. Verse 1 to 5. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. As we close. Is this helping anyone? One more point, and we're out of here. Is that good? I'm telling you, man, the early service one was better. So if you want good stuff, 8:30. I'm telling you, this is watch what David is doing here. David's attitude. He says, uh, uh, Bless the Lord, all my soul. That's how we read it, right? In fact, the time he wrote this psalm, he was going through crazy stuff. <laughs> His uh, city, I think it was Ziklog, you know, the scholars here who, who 
correct me if I'm wrong. It had been plundered. All their wives taken away, all their children taken away, everything taken away. And then they came back and it was the Amalekites. They came back and the whole city had been plundered. And all the men that were in the camp started crying. Some fainted from crying. And then some started talking about stoning him. Now we want to kill you, David. And he was going through that when he wrote this song. So he's not saying, bless the Lord of my soul. No, he's saying, flip. The Bible says he started encouraging himself in the Lord. It was warfare. He started talking to his mind. Mind, you are going to bless the Lord whether you like it. Bless the Lord, my mind. Bless the Bless the Lord. You know why? Because there are times you will feel like not blessing the Lord. Let's be honest. But you have to whip your mind in line to bless the Lord. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Watch what he starts doing. Next verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Their benefits. And you have to remind yourself all the time of these benefits. You have to consistently walk around reminding yourself of these benefits of serving God. All of these benefits. Forget not. This is why in the Old Testament, God would tell His children to build an altar so that every time they pass through the altar, they can look at it and remember, He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Tzid Kenu. He's Jehovah Shalom. Be reminded. Forget not his benefits. Next verse. Who forgives how many? And God is extreme. See, I know some of you, you committed some grimy sins and you think, you know, God didn't forgive you. No, God forgives all your iniquities. God has forgiven you of all your sins. Someone shout, I am the righteousness of Christ that's who you are God has forgiven all of your iniquities, all your sins and his mercies are you every morning I wish I was like God his mercies are you every morning you know what that means? that means every brand new day you have a, a brand new check of mercy and grace of forgiveness a hundred percent Man, as a parent, my messes are not new every morning. But if you do something you did yesterday, then we have to deal with it. Someone just say, Thank God he is not. Hey man, no, we deal with it. You know, and as a human being, man, my messes are not new every morning. You mess me up this week, next week again. Ah, uh, they say twice beaten. Once beaten, twice? Something like that. In other words, if you do it twice, I'm going to punch you in the face. But God is not like that. He's saying you can do it twice and I still love you. And when you realize that God loves you like that, you'll stop doing it. That's the only way you'll have power to not sin anymore. Not because you're afraid of it. Watch what else he says. All your iniquities will heals all your diseases. Next verse who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns you with love and kindness and tender mercies. Next verse. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. This is scripture. God satisfies your mouth 
with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. And my youth is renewed like that of an eagle. Amen? Oh, man, this is good stuff. Last point, last point, last point. Are y'all ready? You still here? Just lift your right hand. Wave it in the air. Okay, you're here. All right, cool. Your state of mind is, your state of faith is reflected in your mind. You know, every time they used to say, have faith, have faith, I used to wonder, what are they talking about? And how do I measure my faith? How can I see a picture, a photography of my faith? You can see it in your mind. How do I know that? Go with me to James chapter number 1, verse 5. James chapter number 1, from verse 5 to 8. what uh, Sister Rachel quoted earlier on. Watch what it says. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Next verse. But let him ask in what? Come on, preach with me. In what? Let him ask in way, in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven in the wind and tossed. You tell us where the wavering happens. Next verse. For let that man Think, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Next verse. And double what? Doubt is simply double-mindedness. I mean, I used to think faith is this force you can't measure. No, you can measure faith. You can see a picture of your faith by checking what's in your mind. Are you fully persuaded? That's how God measured Abraham's faith. Abraham was fully persuaded or fully convinced. That God, the one we had promised, was also faithful to you. Fully persuaded. So if you're double-minded about, you know, God loves me, but I'm a bad person. Nobody loves me. He can't love me. You're double-minded. God loves me. Full stop. And there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, aren't your name and say, God loves me. And there's nothing you nothing about. Amen. Romans chapter number 4, verse 20 to 21 as we close in the message Bible. Romans 4, 20 to 21. This is Abraham. Watch what he says about his faith. He says he didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. See why we don't teach about giving and tithe too much? Because people will be like tiptoeing, just asking cautiously, skeptical. If you ask him to learn, there's a difference between asking to learn and asking to be a skeptic. You know, I was teaching on tongues, and Brother Henry told me, told me someone send an email as the broadcast ended. Say, ah, oh, this tongue thing, tell me more about it. But you should know while you're telling me and teaching me that I also know this, 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 this. this. They're not asking me to learn. They're just trying to show me they don't agree with what I'm teaching. So guess what? I will not waste my time replying that email. Because the attitude is wrong. He didn't tiptoe around God's promises asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged. Someone say plunged. And this is the place we should be as a church. He plunged. 
if the Bible says it, I believe it, and that's it. He dove in, plunged. You know what that means? Going in full out. He plunged into the promise and came up. Every time you plunge into the promise of God, you come out strong. How do we know Abraham plunged? I always say this. Abraham was told by God from today onwards because of this promise. You are no longer Abraham. You are now Abraham. And he said, really? God said, yes. Took his papers, went to home affairs. Said, ah, chief, I've come to do a name change. Says, what's your new name? Says, my new name is Abraham. Says, what does that mean? Says, it means father of many nations. Said, you must have lots of children. Abraham said, no, I don't have any. He said, so then why are you calling yourself father of many nations? Because God told me. Someone shout, I'm the head and not the tail. Above only and never beneath. Shout, I am the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Shout, Philippians 4. Verse 19 says, All my needs are met. Therefore, all my needs are met. And I know, I know it. There's a voice whispering to you right now saying, But they are not. Just like it whispered, just like it whispered to Abraham, but you are not a father of even one. Look at what it says next verse. How do you respond? Next verse 21. He was sure that God would make good on what he said. So this is how you respond. I am sure that God will make good. In fact, say, I am fully persuaded. Shout, it's a sure thing. That God will make good on what he promised. Why don't you stand on your feet?